Before we begin today's podcast, I want to give a shout out to our presenting sponsor, and that's Wildberries Bakery and Cafe, located just north of the district in beautiful Frederick, Maryland. Now guys, unlike what 50 Cent might have you believe, it's not just fat kids who like cake. In fact, I'm told lots of people like cake, and Wildberries has some of the very best you'll find anywhere in the Washington, D.C. metro area. Their cakes are fully personalized, fully customized, and perfect for occasions like birthdays, weddings, graduations, anniversaries, baptisms, bar mitzvahs, promotions, celebrating the fact that your boss got fired, or anything else in between. So go ahead and treat your mom, treat your friends, treat your girlfriend, treat your wife, even treat someone else's wife. It's a lot more fun if you don't get caught, but you didn't hear that from us. Visit the bakery and receive 10% off your next order of $10 or more. So visit www.wildberriesbakery.com, and you can find a link to it on our website, and tell them you're a fan of the Hail to the District podcast. They'll take good care of you. Welcome to the Hail to the District podcast with your host, Rajan Nanavati. Welcome back, everyone, to yet another edition of the Hail to the District podcast. I'm Rajan, and I'm rejoined by my buddy John to deliver part two of our Redskins training camp primer. So for those of you who might have missed it, make sure you go back and check out part one, where we did a position-by-position breakdown of the defense, because today we're going to go position-by-position with the Redskins offense. And we'll start with the guy under sender, for who, for the first time since 2012, will, be, will not be the name that we shall not mention. It's not you-know-who. He's in that city that's the mistake by the lake, and our guy is Kirk Cousins, whether you like it or not. Uh, he was the guy who helped lead the team to a 6-3 and record after the bye week, and over the last nine games of last season, if you include the playoffs, he put up over 2,500 yards passing and 20 touchdowns and only two interceptions, which is not the Kirk Cousins we got accustomed to over the last several years, who was one of the most intercepted quarterbacks, I believe, in the history of the NFL, if you look at a per-game basis. Yeah, no, it's definitely a totally different Kirk Cousins and one that we all were very happy to see. And But I, I think that the key factor for that was Deshaun Jackson was actually there and showing up and playing well. And I think that was a, a as big a factor of, of Kirk Cousins' success as anything else. Deshaun Jackson coming back was huge. And Jordan Reed, people I – mean, Staying know, healthy. Jordan Reed staying healthy. And down the stretch, he was a monster. I mean, he was just uncoverable. Uh, over the last eight games of the season, he was just incredible. Um, I, I think there was no tight end had more uh, yards and receptions outside of like Rob Gronkowski than Gronkowski is the only tight end that you can claim say is clearly better than Jordan Reed from a receiving perspective. Absolutely, Jordan Reed's still well, a little bit of an Ole blocker, but other than that, like he is, he's just a total beast. But back, he's a complete mismatch, unguardable. He's he he has and crossing that bridge for a second he really has the the too big uh for d- defensive back to cover too fast for a linebacker to cover complete mismatch and he's he has the ability to position himself on routes where he just knows where to find the seam in the in in the defense get open and just get the ball away from whoever's trying to cover him if you remember that one batted up pass that like Kirk Cousins just kind of threw it up in the air against Chicago two Bears defenders kind of batted at it and Jordan Reed ended up with it that's that's like a classic the mismatch that Jordan Reed provides you it was it was it was fantastic but back on Kirk Cousins for just a second um so there was a lot of talk about whether or not the extension was going to happen I think in the end it realized that the Redskins just weren't willing to pay quote-unquote market value or quote-unquote what everybody else was paying for. What was their top dollar amount they were offering? I can't remember what the exact number came out to, but it wasn't close. It wasn't really... Was it 16 a year? I don't even think it was 16. I think it turned out to be 14 to 15 in that neighborhood. It was what it was... And like it was also like a three or four year deal. And Kirk was looking for something... I should say Kirk's agents were looking something closer to the 17 to 19 million a year, closer to what he's getting this year on the franchise tag. Um... I mean, frankly put, this is a prove-it year for both of them. I mean, he's putting, he's betting on himself, and the Redskins are saying, all right, if you want the money, you know, let, let's see if the last eight games or nine games of the last season wasn't a total fluke. Well, I think the Redskins are saying, we are more than happy to give you the money if you continue to prove it. So it's kind of a – I think it's a, it's a decent scenario for both. Cousins is getting paid this year. We had the money to do it this year, so it's not like it's hampering the team. And if it, for some reason, doesn't work out – there is a bit of an out, you know, clause, so to speak. But I mean, there's no alternatives. 
So there's the narrative in DC of people. There are still the loyalists of he who shall not be named, and it kind of drives me nuts on social media where you still see the guys who are like, you know, so-and-so got a raw deal, so-and-so was you know on the outs from day one with Jay Gruden, uh, you know, Scott McLuhan didn't like him and, you know, openly pushed for Kirk Cousins, but there's a reason so for it. guys that like football didn't like him. Exactly. It's... A, and- whether or not you think Jay Gruden had an agenda, which I think is total horseshit, like uh, whether or not you think he had an agenda, his agenda at the end of the day is to win football games. He was hired to help the Redskins win football games. If if he who shall not be named was the guy who would help him win football games, then why is he going to alienate him? And exactly. It's you know there are people who even want to go and play the race card, which I think is completely asinine. I mean, well beyond asinine. And they're saying, well, if Kirk, Kirk cousins of, you know, he would have gotten more rope than, than so-and-so did. And I'm like, it's just ridiculous. Um, the way cousins played over the last eight games of the season, we haven't seen a quarterback run the offense the way cousins did since Griffin Brad did. In since uh, yeah, Brad Johnson, I would say Griffin the way he did in because Griffin played it a different way though. Right, Griffin was out of this world. 2012 is still probably my most memorable season since 1991. Yeah. I, I don't. It was just it was magic from the start. The other two memorable ones would be 99 and was it 01 was the Schottenheimer season? 01 was Schottenheimer. I would say the back, the back five games of 2005, especially when we dumped truck Dallas. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. The game we went to, that was Yeah, that was awesome. That was pretty awesome. But from all accounts, though, so, the the man in Cleveland is not necessarily learned his lesson. He still can't read a, a defense. We, He's still a first read and and run and they're they're integrating their offense to accommodate um more uh so they have more movement in their receiver core downfield for anticipating that he's going to be moving out of the pocket so they're making their breaks later trying to get open later in a possession because they're like this this guy's gonna he's gonna go okay this guy's covered i'm gonna run around hopefully i can make a play and that's what we're just gonna have the other guys do because we know that he can't he still can't read a damn defense and for someone who is by all accounts intelligent and you know book smart as i think we were talking about yesterday after the pod was over it's like he he just he's not football smart for whatever reason that may be he just can't read a defense whether you want to attribute it to coming from a spread offense whether you want to attribute it to the shanahan's hampering his learning curve by continuing to play a read option style of offense or whatever excuse you want to come with in between he still can't get it um he there was i think he never had to put in the work the, and then when he did have to put it in, he he didn't. He wouldn't. So, was, I mean... It was the Tampa Bay game in Gruden's first year where, I mean, he was like, if you read the alphabet A to Z, he was reading it from Z to A. Like, he was just so off in his progressions and those guys running wide open. And there was that one, I think it was right after the Tampa Bay game where he had the audacity to compare himself to Aaron Rodgers. Um, right. And Gruden was like, he's just, he's it's all wrong. He's doing it all wrong. And it's... It's one thing. Chris if, Cooley tore him apart about right. how many covers he cover all the coverage he missed. And it's it's just you know so from a cousin's perspective, a lot of people say and a lot of people who tend to follow the team and maybe know more football than we might tend said that oh well cousins had a you know a little bit of a watered down playbook last year and that you know Gruden kind of gave him only a couple of reads. But you know what? Those couple of reads that Gruden might have gave him, he read them correctly. He did his right. job. He he played within the confines of the offense, and as the cliche goes, he took what the defense gave him. He distributed the ball where it needed to go, on time, on schedule. So what else could you want? Is he He's not going to make magic in the way that Aaron Rodgers does, or he's not the big strapping guy like Andrew Luck is, or he's not going to make something out of nothing the way Cam Newton does. But you know what? I, I'm not trying to compare the two of them, but Tom Brady's a guy who gets the ball out where it needs to go when it needs to get there. But he also does it extremely fast because he knows exactly what he's doing before he even snaps the ball. He knows where he's going with because it. Because he's amazing and he has that ability to process. And Cousins, you know, well, he's is not practiced even there and yet. he's worked and he's studied. For a, you know, people don't realize Brady's I think is 39 this year, so it's not yeah. like he's a spring chicken. And 
you know, so whether or not you're like, well, you know, Cousins doesn't have the arm strength or Cousins is not Aaron Rodgers or something, we don't need that. We just need someone who's going to distribute the football to the guys around him. And if it takes $19 million a year or whatever the price tag is to get a guy who you know is going to work hard, a guy who cares about his craft, a guy who is intelligent, a guy who his teammates do rally around him, if that's what the price it is, then shit, that's the price it is. Uh, that's the price you have to pay in this game for a quarterback. I mean, you can't win without a quarterback. You just can't do it. You know, you, I mean, what's Joe Flacco making? Isn't he making twenty Joe plus? Joe Flacco mil- is the most overrated quarterback in the NFL. I can't think of a single player. In fact, I can't think of a single player in the NFL that's more overrated than Joe Flacco. But that's what a competent starting quarterback is being paid. If anyone's a Ravens fan listening to this podcast, Joe Flacco sucks, and you can suck it. Sorry. Well, he that. doesn't suck. He can only play with a lead. He can't come from behind. No, he sucks. All right. <laughs> Joe Flacco blows. I wouldn't go that far, but I mean that. But that's what the market rate is. That's for what the market rate is. And 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 a slightly above average quarterback, starting quarterback, is it's that it, crap. Brock Osweiler got paid, and he and he played half a, a season and didn't even didn't even play well. He wasn't. He even just a, was. He was meh. The Texans meh. didn't even meet with him before offering him that contract. That's what the value of a quarterback is at this point. That well, that's because they were incredibly desperate if kirk cousins would was out there you don't think they would have given him 18 a year oh yeah after the performance he just put up come on and i mean think about it from a if you look at it right now and you know we might have rose colored glasses because of the way he played over the last eight games but how many quarterbacks would you really say right now you would take unquestionably over Kirk Cousins. Like, they're the elites. There's Drew Brees, uh, you know, Philip Rivers, Tom Brady, uh, you know. Ben Roethlisberger, ben Roethlisberger Aaron Rodgers. You know, Carson Palmer. Those guys you'd probably take. Eli Manning. but Andrew Luck, Russell Wilson, Cam Newton. True. But, you keep going. I mean, it, there it's, it's very deep. I think you're going to find probably 12 guys that you would take ahead of them. But can you definitively say, you said Russell Wilson, right? Yeah. Okay. So you, but like, would you definitively say like Derek Carr? Would you definitively say no. Matt Stafford? Would you definitively no. say Matt Ryan? No. Would you say Blake Bortles? Would you say Jay Cutler? No. no. Definitely not Sam Bradford. Absolutely not. If you had to play tomorrow, I don't know. You take Jameis Winston. Would you take James Ryan Tannehill? Like all these Absolutely. guys. Who, I don't like Tannehill at all. But I, I would, I would probably take. I would probably take famous Jameis. I, I think he's going to be pretty good. Jameis was good, but I think Jameis in two years has probably got a much higher upside. If you had to ask me if I'm playing right. tomorrow, yeah, I'd still take Kirk. So I'm not saying, yeah, Kirk's not in that top ten. We just ran through the top ten. He's not one of those guys necessarily. But you know what? He's not. He's still in the top half, and I'm, that's, that's enough. Yes. Within the way the, of Gruden's Do you take offense, him over Andy Dalton? I do. I'm not, a, I'm not sold on Andy Dalton. I think Andy Dalton – at least as of last year, has a better support, had a better supporting cast than Cousins did. And if Cousins had the same amount of playing time and in continuity, I think Cousins could put up that type of performance. And if he had AJ Green, yeah, I, as good as the Redskins receiving core is, we don't have AJ. They, Green. they don't have AJ Green, right? That, that guy's a monster. So I'm willing to pay for it. Again, I don't need him. I would love for him to grow up and become Aaron Rodgers. It's not going to happen. We have to understand it's not going to happen. But what he was over that last stretch of the season, the guy who gets the football where it needs to go on time, and as long as he doesn't start hucking up interceptions again, I'm willing to pay the price tag. Well, don't you think if he goes over 4,000 yards again, which I'm pretty sure he will, 30 touchdowns, 20 interceptions, aren't you paying him? 20 interceptions would be something. 20 interceptions I think would put him in the league lead yeah, last year Bortles had 18 as the highest. Okay. So, and Peyton had, I forgot about Peyton. Peyton's nine touchdowns and 17 interceptions last year. Good oh. Lord. Okay, so he's got to keep it under 16. 16 is the number where above 16, you're like, this is getting gross. That's one a game, right? Like right. Above that, it's starting to get kind of like, uh, you're you're kind of a playing super sloppy there. Well, he's not going to do the, the half a season and only two interceptions. You're not going to get no, that again. No, no, that's... And, and I think you'd be lucky if he's under 10. The thing that kind of terrifies me with Cousins is that, you know, what is the real Kirk Cousins? Because it reminds me a lot of when, um, I think it was two, when in Chip Kelly's first year, when Nick Foles had that, like, 27 touchdowns and two interceptions over, like, his starting stretch. And I'm like, dear Lord. Yeah, where is he now? Cousins. Yeah, he's out of the NFL, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think he's with a team. at the, I think that no, Rams just cut him recently. 
the Rams caught him and nobody nobody cares for him. Yeah, because they he stinks. They couldn't even get a ham sandwich out of him because he does stink. Yeah, he's hanging out with Matt Castle and guys like that and Jamarcus Russell. Maybe not Russell. <laughs> so we'll move on to the guys that hand off or who get handed the football. Oh and God! If <laughs> this is bleak, little, little bit of a premonition there. Yeah. If there's a weak spot on the team, even more weak than the defensive line, which we covered yesterday in part one, it's the running back position. Um, Pro Football Focus had them ranked dead last as a group. I kind of can't disagree with them. I don't blame them one bit. So Matt Jones looked great for the first two games of the season. In a vacuum, Matt Jones is awesome, but there's still a lot of work to do. I don't think, you know, we all got super giddy over the first few games. Like, ah, he's a second coming Marshawn Lynch. Like, he's not Marshawn Lynch. Let's hold our horses. Now, that being said, I think it was pro football focus who compared him to Ben Jarvis Green Ellis, which I thought was a little far-fetched too. Like, Ben Jarvis Green Ellis was this slow, plodding, 3.8 yards per carry type of back. Um, Matt Matt Jones Jones is way quicker. Way quicker, way more elusive. I think more violent as a runner, um, a much better receiver, all of those things. So I think that's a little that's going a little too far on the opposite end. Um, I do love there's been a few stories in training camp where he and Chris Thompson have kind of come together and, and realized that they're the quote unquote veterans in the room. And like they're the guys who are um, who everyone's relying on. And Matt Jones has taken it really seriously about fumbling and or not fumbling the football, considering he had five fumbles last year and really trying to absorb knowledge from other people as much as he can about how to take care of himself, you know, uh, fight, you know, be patient to hit the hole, which is one of the big things a young running back struggle with. Um, yeah, it's, he's, he, I, I appreciate the leadership role he's taken. A lot of people, I think Trent Williams said a comment the other day. They're like, Matt Jones has literally made a lot of strides from year one to year two. I just feel like I'd be a lot more comfortable if there was somebody of his caliber or around that caliber as a tandem with him. Yeah, you you hated to see uh, Alfred Morse leave, especially where he ended up. I mean, that was like the worst possible worst destination possible. is for him to go to Dallas. You, you almost wish they would have just said, "Screw it, let's let's run it back one more year," because this kid's not quite ready. So, if there was, and I've always felt this way, if there was a player that Jay Gruden had an agenda against, I never felt Jay Gruden wanted Alfred Morris. No. It yeah, just, I don't from day one, he was oil and water with him. Like he just, it just seemed like Morris was not his guy. Like, and he was almost pushing him out the door. The carries went down. The importance went down. The role in the offense went down. He was really, you could watch him being more marginalized week after week. I don't think McLuhan did that necessarily. I think McLuhan's going to take the best guy on his board. And Matt Jones was the best guy on his board in round three last year. But I think it just gave an excuse to further marginalize Alfred, even though Alfred was especially towards the end of last season, the best running back on the roster. And he was cheap. He was cheap. And, you know, they gave Dallas is paying him nothing to be there. He would have taken a a hometown discount to stay here. And I think that's the real travesty. He wanted to stay here, even though he knew and all the public comments where he knew he was getting marginalized and he still wanted to stay here. And he was maybe one. I don't even think they, Presented an offer. I don't think the, I don't think so either. I think they just presented him walking papers at the end of the season. They're like, "All right, go ahead and pack your bags. You have to leave at this time." Um, no, it's was, really sad because he was he was a great Redskin. He was maybe one of the five most beloved, probably not even five, one of the three most beloved players on this team. Yeah, because he did all he did was he showed up and he worked hard, and and he was pleasant and you know quiet and humble. I mean, what else? You don't get that. You don't get that. And you don't get that. Most of these guys are egomaniacs. Especially for like they all look great on the camera, but they're a bunch of dicks off the camera. Game line. And and he's and and he I by all accounts he absolutely was not one of those. He was just, you know, an all around good guy that you know, he worked to get everything he, he had. He was not heavily recruited out of high school. He went to a small college. He was a late draft pick and you know everybody thought he was sound, a sound familiar like Josh Josh Norman. Yeah, although yeah. Matt, Alfred Morris never played with that that type of chip and never no. never turned himself or fashioned himself to be a superhero on the field. No, but um, you know they did they did put the work on off the field and it showed on the field. Chris Thompson, they have a lot of big plans for, and I think Chris Thompson. A lot of people have said positive things again about him in training camp. The only issue with how him can is, you bank on him? His size, he's just so small. 
Um, he's brittle. He's he's brittle. He's I think his 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 first healthy season or the next healthy season will be his first healthy season. Um, I like him. I think he's got a little bit of the third down back, but just again to your point, he's just he's not big enough. Um, he has the skill set that you're looking for. He's really fast. He is a legit four three guy. He's got hands, but one nasty hit and a you know he could be out for quite some time. And he's had issues with the ACL. He's had issues with his back. So, right. And then they drafted uh, Keith Marshall out of Georgia, who is a, a top prospect coming out of high school. Five star recruit. And- Yep, and then but he just had injury troubles and didn't really see the field. But you know the Redskins still still took a shot on him because the kid has a lot of talent. But the again, can he get on the field? So Marshall was actually, if I if I'm not mistaken, ran the fastest forty at the combine of anyone. Yes, there. he did. Four three yes, one. Um, it was actually pretty sick to watch. I was I was doing some research for this and I went back and I saw it and I'm like that guy can fly. Um, tore his ACL and he missed most all of his sophomore year and I think a lot of his junior year too. And instead right. of uh, applying for a red shirt, he said he's just going to take his chances in the NFL um, because he didn't want to come back and back up Nick Chubb and Sony Michael last year or this year, this upcoming year. Um, I don't know what Nick Chubb is going to be with because he has an ACL as well, but he didn't want to come back and back up. But he's interesting in the, in the sense that he's 5'11 and 220 pounds, so he's got the size. The physical tools are there. The problem with Marshall is that he doesn't have a lot of carries under his belt, just at a major football level. He had, I think, over his first three seasons, a grand total of something like 210 carries. I mean, that's that's one season in the NFL. And he has it for his first three years. But that's why he was a six-round pick, and that's why seventh. he's intriguing. Six. Right. Or seven. Six, yeah. yeah. But that's why he's intriguing, because you're like, this this kid has talent. If he can put it all together and get some reps, I mean, maybe maybe he can be something. And if he's not, who cares? And if he's not, you walk away with it, you know, just giving up a six-round pick, which is a, a little bit of a crapshoot anyway. Um, right. A lot of upside with him. I think he's definitely intriguing. But as a group, and to be completely honest with you, I follow this team, I think, as closely as anyone. I don't know a damn thing about Mac Brown. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I, I, if you tell me Mac Brown, I think of the legendary Texas coach. I don't think that's, of the Redskins. That's what back. I initially pictured an old white guy. Yeah, and I'm like, that's Mac Brown, the old Southern gentleman, not the running back. I don't know anything about him. To be completely honest with you, I would have actually really liked to see Pierre Thomas come back. He provided a really nice element to the offense last year. We never really had that type of player for quite some time. Um, Is he still available, or did he actually still on the street? That's what I thought. I think I think they're just kind of sitting and waiting. And if they don't get the results that they want out of training camp, I would imagine they would bring him back in. He, but that's just my speculation. He reminded me way back in the day. This is going back, but like Kelvin Bryant, like that was the type of guy that Pierre Thomas reminded you of. Like we just we never had that. Or maybe Larry Centers for like those two years he was in DC. Like just that type of man. Player. I forgot about that. You know, I forgot about Larry Centers. I think he has. Holy. A, he think he has the Redskins record for most uh, receptions by a running back in a season right now. Still holds a team record. Yeah, Larry Centers, ninety eight and ninety nine or ninety nine two thousand. One of those two. Yeah. Wow. It's kind of scary when you start looking back at this stuff. All the players that have come through this town. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of players where I'm like, he played for us, and I'm like, oh yeah, there's that one season he was there. Like you remember Irving Fryer was here. Yep. And. Andre Reed was here, and TJ Duckett was here. God, that was an awful trade. Stupid Vinny Serrato. TJ, TJ McBuckets. Da- uh, oh, buckets of chicken. Jason Taylor was here. Like, all these randoms. Yep. Totally random. Henry Ellard at the end of his career. Henry Ellard was a beast in, like, for the first What's couple of seasons with uh, with Heath in, in those years. I really – I loved Henry Ellard. Yeah. I just love him because he did a flip into the end zone after an 80-yard touchdown. Yeah, and I think that was like the only touchdown he had the rest for the rest of the year. Cause the yeah, the yeah, because the rest of the team was terrible. You remember John Freeze? John Freeze was the guy got from Seattle, yes, and then he they got him played for like a half. I thought it was San Diego. No, San Diego. Right, it was San Diego. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was terrible. God just awful. utterly atrocious. Yeah. That was back when like people thought backup quarterbacks could be starters. You know, you had that Scott Mitchell. Uh, who else? I'm trying to. There think. are a couple. Of- there's there's definitely some in that neighborhood besides Scott Mitchell. I know who you're talking about. Um, 
so going from a little bit of the crappy position to probably the two most loaded positions on the team, first we'll start with the wide receivers. Um, if you really look at the guys who are probably going to make the team or most likely to make the team, going one through six, you got Pierre Garçon, Deshaun Jackson, Jamison Crowder, Josh Doxson, Ryan Grant, and Rashad Ross. Rashad Ross is a special teams guy. Grant's a depth guy. But one, two, three, four in Jackson, Garcon, one and one A. Crowder, who they've come out and said, like, Crowder's going to be the slot guy. When we go three wides, Crowder's going to be on the field. And then Dotson, uh, from a pure wide receiver depth standpoint, as far as in the NFC, they're right there with Arizona and Green Bay in terms of having the most depth, the most talent, the most game-breaking ability. Well, as we talked about the cornerbacks yesterday, you know, they had, like, the number three ranked um, cornerbacks, they have probably the number three ranked receiving group out of the whole NFL. You know, they're just, they're loaded. Yeah, I'm trying to think of any other group in the AFC, and I'm like, I think I'd take them over Indianapolis's guys because Indianapolis has one and two, They've, not three. Um, yeah. Denver's one and two might be better in Demarius Thomas think, and Emmanuel Sanders. I not think three. Uh, the, the Patriots get ahead of them because of Gronk. See, I don't count that. Because I'm like, if you count those plus plus um, Jordan Reed, I'm like, then I they leapfrog Arizona and they leapfrog Green Bay to me. And I think, yeah, the only team, if you look at it collectively, and although Gronk is just a freak in, in and of himself, Gronk tips the scales no matter what. Um, but from like Would it a, be Pittsburgh then? Not if, uh, if um, Martavis Bryant was healthy. Without Martavis Bryant, I think you, you can make an argument, even as... as transcendent as Antonio Brown is, but if, if Martavis Bryant was there, then no, because Martavis Bryant, Brown, um, Wheaton, and Sammy Coates, plus Ladarius Green is really nasty. Like, that's... If that guy would just stay off the wacky tobacco, Martavis Bryant, they... I would have maybe put them in the Super Bowl next year for uh, the AFC. Um, so, going to Doxon... Been on lots of hubbub about his Achilles injury. He was held out of OTAs. What is the real story? Because I can't find no it. No one out. knows. So I like think it, John Kime just a few minutes ago tweeted that the team is confident that he will be back for the beginning of the regular season, but there's still no <clears throat> there's still no time frame as to when he's going to come back. They're confident that's going to be by game one, but if that's the case, that means he's missed all of training camp. And for a guy, right, which com- means. He's he's not going to be worth a, a crap till the second half of the season at best. Right. So I was going back and forth with a few people on Twitter, and I'm like, I'm praying to God that this is not a Kevin White situation, like what he was in Chicago, where they're like, oh, it's just a stress fracture, it'll heal sometime, and then like halfway through the season, like yeah, we gotta shut it down. Yeah. And, oh, that'd be terrible. You know, a lost year would be so bad. For- uh, so there's two parts to that, and then the other so the other side of the. Po- of the, uh, the equation people are like, well, he could be like Odell Beckham. And I'm like, if he's anything like Odell Beckham, we've won. And that's amazing. I, I think that's lofty. And I know they're comparing him not from a Odell, uh, playing style or production, but the fact that Beckham missed, I think four games in his rookie year and then came back and played like gangbusters. Um, right. But he also had no competition ahead of him. Exactly. He was, whereas there was, if he comes back healthy, there's still three good receivers ahead of him that have been playing the whole time. There's no, there's no reason to give him, force him reps that's my counter argument to everything that this season let's even say Doxon was healthy this season is almost kind of a red shirt for him like garcon jackson and crowder are still one two and three grant still knows the offense better than than dotson will i mean they could bring in dotson and then the old god what was that asshole's name darnarian mccants role like go jump up in the end zone and catch fade passes or what they were doing with uh, Jordan Reed last year. Like he presents another variable there, and they can kind of bring him in at a very slow pace. But this season was going to be kind of a of a, a red shirt, as I said, for him anyway. So we don't need him to be a superstar right now. No, we just need him to prove that he is going to be a good good football player, and that if one of the top, if if uh, Deshaun or Pierre walks next year, which guaranteed one, one of, of them, them will not be on the team. Um, this guy can step up. That's all you want to see is you want to be able to see just enough that you're confident that he can step into that role next year and be a very good receiver. You don't need him to be a good, you know, you don't need him to be a pro bowler this year, but you need to at least see some flashes. As long as he's not Malcolm Kelly and Devin Thomas, just don't be Malcolm Kelly and Devin Thomas. I don't think we have to worry about that. Uh, There's a, 
there was a reason why those two guys were were sitting there in the second round waiting for Vinny's dumbass to take him because nobody else wanted him. His knees are not made out of wet Kleenexes, and thirty one yeah. other teams haven't red flagged him like they did with Malcolm Kelly. Right. Stupid Vinny. Whereas um, you know Josh Doxson, you know was, some people consider him the top receiver coming out, depending on who you talked talk to, you know. So. Kelly was never in that range. Leading up to the draft, Dotson had very firmly jumped over Laquan Treadwell. Treadwell was a guy heading into the draft or his draft season started. And Dotson definitely, um, especially after he ran a 4-5 flat at the combine and measured in at a proper 6-2, he he leapfrogged Treadwell because I think Treadwell ran like a mid-4-6 in a lot of his pro days. And there started being questions like, is he fast enough? Which I think is a little overblown, but that's not... Um, that's another you don't conversation. need him to be fast enough. Exactly. That's another conversation for another point. Um, I think Dotson, his only, the only other concern with him, which ties goes part and parcel with the Achilles thing, is that he's not the biggest guy in the world. He's really lean, so there's some injury concern. Uh, he does need to bulk up. He's got the frame to bulk up, but he just need does need to put on some size. But going back to the A.J. Green uh, point, he reminds you a lot of a poor man's A.J. Green. He's not 6'4", like A.J. Green is. Dotson is proper 6'2", as I mentioned, but um, a really long receiver, knows how to get up and get the football, great with jump balls, really good with yards after the reception, uh, which is you, know, you wouldn't expect for someone his size. Um, doesn't really have the elite speed or the elite burst that you want, but he is just he's a long, gangly, get-everything, you know, jump over the cornerback and snatch the ball out of his hands type of guy, which, again, we haven't had in a while that type of player who's just going to play power forward, if you will, over the corner and get the ball from him. Right, and they desperately, you know, I mean, he was an excellent pick when they got him. I, I didn't expect them, I didn't expect him to fall that far. And the, you know when your comp is AJ Green, you you can't pass that up, and especially when your coach is Jay Gruden and he had so much success with um, that type of player. Yeah. Uh, he just fits. He fits perfectly. There was a lot of thoughts actually. Like all the mocks on the day before were saying they're like Doxson's probably going to end up in Minnesota, who had the pick right after the Redskins did. Um, a lot of people started saying that Will Fuller, who I think is actually really overrated, the receiver from Notre Dame, would go to Houston at 21. There was a lot of smoke there. Uh, Cleveland, who the hell knew what they were going to do because they were going to trade around and get fancy and do all sorts of stuff. But when the pick came across that it was Dotson, I was like, wasn't didn't see that coming because you know we all thought defensive line and there was some thought of linebacker and maybe even Carl Joseph's name. God, I love Carl Joseph. Um, that name started He's be a beast. such a beast. Um, that name started popping up, and that was kind of actually my guy. But then when they took Dotson, I'm like, yeah, I can get down with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And especially from the 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 foresight of, as you mentioned, Pierre Garçon and Deshaun Jackson, one of them, if not both of them, but more than likely just one of them is not going to be here next season. So you give the guy the red shirt, let him develop on his own time, and then hopefully he is going to be ready to go in year two. Because Dotson next to Deshaun Jackson, I'm okay with that. Yeah, no, that that's, would be an awesome pairing. And then you still got Jamison Crowd. Yeah, you still got Crowder. Running around right. in the slot getting yards after the catch. Uh, it's still They'll still be a great receiving core. And segueing into the tight end, there's still that Jordan Reed guy. As long as he's yeah. healthy, and Lord Almighty, please stay healthy. But as long as yeah. he's there, um, yeah, that's still a really potent offense. And I think, uh, to your point about Deshaun Jackson, is absolutely true, but... Jordan Reed's kind of coming back and really emerging. That was a big, big reason why Kirk Cousins went apeshit for the second half of the season. Right, because he was that safety blanket. You know, just when in doubt, throw it, throw it his way, and he'll take care of you. It was the Philadelphia game, the Saturday night, where like literally they, he just he couldn't be covered. Like there was no answer for him. And I think it was the first half of the Packers wildcard game too, where they, there's just no answer. You don't, you can't cover him. It's he, he was. It was actually laughable. He's, I think he had two touchdowns and like three drives against the Eagles, and like he was just clowning their linebackers. And everyone's like, "Oh, well, Michael Kendricks is a really athletic linebacker, and it'll be great to match up with him." No, he owned him. He ate his lunch, and it wasn't even close. So it was it was fun to watch, especially seeing the Eagles fans in continued mi- in misery. Uh, that was that was delightful. It's, 
always always take pride and joy. In and that. the interesting thing on top of Jordan Reed, I mean, Jordan Reed is going to get his, and I mean, he could he could legitimately flirt with a thousand yards this season if he stays healthy. Well, he was just a hair below it this past year, and he missed games. He, he I think he had like nine hundred and fifty some. He was in that uh, neighborhood, and he played fourteen games. Right. So, well, technically, if you count the wild card game, he 15. did have over. Okay. Right. Over um, a thousand yards. So. Oh yeah, he's he's more than capable of doing that out of a tight end, and nobody else, nobody else comes close to that except for Gronk. So I mean, and so happens that both of those guys are injury prone. People don't realize Jordan Reed actually led the team in receptions, in targets, and in receiving yards, and in touchdowns. Jordan Reed had eleven touchdowns last year. Yeah, that's amazing. And again, that was in about four, thirteen and a half, fourteen games. So extrapolate that over 16 games and you're looking at really good numbers and he's only 26 years old right and, the, and last year was the most games he's ever played yeah, I, believe. I know which is really sad i it's sad but at least it shows progress that you know we're kind of heading in the right direction you know when, when we crit- critique like you know steph curry you know he, he kind of trended in the right direction now, hopefully jordan reed is trending in that right direction that he's getting the the appropriate prep and you know he's working on on his stretching or his body or whatever he has to do to stay healthy that um he can maybe give us maybe give us 16 games this year jordan reed over the last if you last five games if you count the playoff game had six touchdowns and three games with more than with at least 120 yards receiving and that's yeah. and one of those games that's was, awesome. was the was the garbage Dallas game where they basically rested everybody in the second half, so that game barely even counts. And the interesting thing on top of that is okay, there's Jordan Reed. Niles Paul is having a really good camp. Remember Niles Paul? Niles Paul I love Niles Paul. Niles Paul can play. And when Reed went down last the year mean. before, like he was he was mean. He's a little bit of that hybrid receiver type himself, that he's a little too big to be a receiver, but he's really slick and really fast to be a tight end. Um, he's, and he's a B special teams player. B special teams player, a much more willing blocker, especially after he put on some size than Jordan Reed was. He's not Logan Paulson per se in terms of being a pure blocking tight end, but he still can block. He's willing and able, especially more so for, than willing and able than Jordan Reed is to block. Although Reed did get down a couple of times last year, and he, I was really impressed with him. Like he would get into the blocking game because he was yeah. another Olay blocker for a long time. Um, yeah, no, he wasn't terrible. He he got I think it was the Buffalo game I was watching a few and he had a couple of I think it was the Kirk Cousins busted run against Buffalo the second touchdown and Jordan Reed threw a couple of key blocks to get Cousins into the end zone if I'm not mistaken on that one. Um so Niles Paul is there, so it's like okay, even if even if you manage to somehow come up with a game plan of stopping Jordan Reed, you've still got Niles Paul from the tight end perspective. So you, you go two tight ends, or you go yeah, you go you go a set with Garcon and Jackson, and they go two tight ends and a running back, and they go throw a pass play. There's still options. Or they're gonna. I think you're gonna see Paul coming out of the backfield too. Or you can see Paul as an H back, sort of like that. Uh, my buddy uh, Darrell Young's gone. That was another one. That's so sad. That was another one that he was such a beast. The Redskins did dirty. I, this is complete homerism, but I would love to have an argument about this. I would venture to say there wasn't a better fullback in the league than than Darrell Young. No, that guy was awesome. No, he was excellent. He was excellent, but nobody wants fullbacks. Nobody wants fullbacks. And then behind, until they realize that they do. Behind Reed and Paul, there's Vernon Davis, who I don't think he has anything left. I think he has nothing left. I think that's just a name, but so far it's a name, and he's a local boy or local as far as you know. He's a Maryland guy, and you know it's a, it's somewhat of a tension grabber. But Derek Carrier is coming back off the ACL, and there's yeah. thought that Reed, Paul, Davis, and Carrier are going to be the four tight ends. And again, that's not even counting Logan Paulson, who is yeah, a nice player. Logan Paulson's great because he would block and then he would just catch whatever ridiculous pass was thrown his way. Right. He was the guy who would like he would get two targets a game. They're like way off and he would still bust his ass trying he'd to go snag get him. it and he'd still get it. Yep. It's like my boy Jeff King. I remember Jeff King. Oh, I love Jeff King. Never panned out. No. They no, just didn't know how a- to use him. They just didn't know how to how to utilize his awesomeness. Nope, I never saw a better tight end in college, though. Yeah. There, but, there, and anyway, yeah, Logan Paulson probably not making the squad. 
No, I think that for the guys ahead of him, I mean, first of all, I think they're yeah. probably only going to go with three tight ends, and then I think the third tight end spot is between Vernon Davis and Derek Carrier. I kind of hope Carrier gets it. I think Vernon. I Davis want to see D- Vernon Davis get cut. Get his get his ass out of Davis here. Davis was he was kind of a punchline when he got traded to Denver last year from San Francisco. They were like, you know, Vernon Davis is if the pass was intended for Vernon Davis, you might as well just go back to the line of scrimmage and, and play the next down. Like he, there's a reason he's not on an NFL team, or he was available for cheap. It's because everyone else kind of passed on him, right? And it's not like we're banking on him to do no. anything. We don't even, we don't. Hopefully, we never see him play, right? Even if he makes the team, hopefully he never plays. Because if he does play, that means bad things have happened. I still want him to play. I still want my third tight end to play because if they go into a jumbo set and he's blocking, and Vernon Davis is not another willing but, blocker, but you don't really noticing, you don't notice him. You're not going, oh look, Vernon Davis is on the field. No. Hooray! Good things are going to happen. You no, know, unless you went to Maryland and you have your head up your ass. No, good things are not going to happen when Vernon Davis uh, is on the field. Regardless. Um, finally, rounding things out, the offensive line, which for the first time—well, I wouldn't say the first time in a long time—but they're bringing back the same five guys. As of right now, it's Trent Williams, Spencer Long, Corey Lichtensteiger, Sheriff, and Moses. Moses. But the question is, is it going to be Long or is it going to be Sean Laval? Right. I. So Sean Laval, I kind of hope it's going to be Sean Laval. Sean Laval was my whipping boy for a long time. I had nothing nice to say from him from the day he entered Washington. That being said, for the first two and a half, it wasn't even two and a half. It was two and a quarter. Their run games, game was nasty was, with him. He, you he just run to the left. Nasty, yeah, he, he was, him and, and him and Williams were they were like uh, steamrollers. They were just what they, they did to the Rams' defensive over. line was amazing. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a that's a. Pretty good defensive line. Yes, very much so. And they were just running it right down their throat with glee. And so, I'm, am I delusional that Spencer Long could take the center spot? They, I think that's what they want to happen. I just don't think it's happening because I, I mean don't that's think what I want to happen because I would like to see Laval Spencer Long. I just don't want Corey Lichtensteiger. So Lichtensteiger was another guy. Every week in the weekly film breakdown, Cooley would sing his praises, and I'm like, listen, I did not play professional football. I do not know the schemes and the offensive schemes that the way Chris Cooley does. But Chris Cooley and I must have been watching two different games because every time I saw Corey Lichtensteiger on the field, his ass was getting whipped. And I, yep. I, I, I am, I'm baffled. Everyone's like, oh, Lichtensteiger, you know, he has another solid grade this week. And I'm like, I, I, what game were you watching? Unless you're watching something back in 2012, I, I, I must be seeing something completely different. All the not nice things I had to say about Sean Laval previously, I have now transferred them over to Corey Lichtensteiger. And that guy can't get off the team fast enough. If I had to cut one of the 22 penciled-in starters, I wouldn't even think twice. Lichtensteiger is the first one to go. yeah. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. He's he's atrocious, but the problem is they don't have a better alternative. They don't. They don't. So the depth. What do you want, McRib to take over? Exactly. At center. McRib was a mess last year. He's a, been a mess his whole tenure he here. He really is a hot mess. Oh my god. Ari Kwanjo. There's so is, much hope. Is a project. He they like him a lot, but he's a project. Tynasek's a tackle. He's great for depth. Right. You know. Um, yeah, they've, they're trying to make long happen, but it's it just it isn't sticking yet. I would love for it to happen. I don't know that he necessarily is the guy under center or is capable really of being under center. That's why there was a lot of thought, and I think there was some scuttlebutt that came out that if Ryan Kelly from Alabama had fallen to twenty one, he was McLuhan's guy, and that's that was uh, in just you know Kelly went at nineteen, and then McLuhan's next guy was obviously Dotson. But right. I, I am pretty sure I heard that if it, Kelly was his guy. Now, you know, who knows what the truth yeah. is? But I, I heard similar similar reports, and it definitely fit a need because, I mean, if you can lock down that center spot, I mean, I know it's not the the glamorous uh, offensive line position, but it's definitely very important. And anytime you can lock down a starting position in the first round, you have to do it. I don't care if people were like, oh, the Redskins overspent on an off- on an interior offensive lineman with the fifth pick in the draft last year. If Brandon Scherf turns out to be Zach Martin, and he's not there yet, but he's got all the tools to be. He's getting there. Who cares? Who cares if you took exactly. him with the fifth pick? I don't care if you took him with the first pick. If he turns out to be Zach Martin or Marshall Yanda, then it was worth it. Again, he's not there yet. He's got all the tools in the world to get there, and he's a beast. He just hasn't put it all together yet. Um, he's 
developing a little slower than I would have liked, but I thought he I thought he was going to be a monster from day one. I really, really did. Completely objectively, wherever he ended up, I thought if they kept him at inside line, uh, inside and not put him at a tackle, which I'm so glad that they went ahead and they're like, well, what if we put Moses at right tackle and try Sheriff at guard and screw what everybody else says? Um, I, I, he's got a ton of upside, and I think he really, really does have Zach Martin level upside. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I know the Giants desperately wanted him in that draft and were very upset when he was taken by by the Redskins because, I mean, everybody realized that the kid has the talent and he has that aggression that you want from a offensive lineman. But, I mean, yeah, it's it's definitely a high pick for a fifth, for, for you know, fifth overall, but you have to do that. And I mean, hindsight is, to quote the great Steve Sprayer, hindsight is always 50-50, so they could have taken some other players, but man, I'm completely content with that. And I'd rather have done that than be like the Giants and reach on uh, Eric Flowers, who you know could have been available late in the first round. Although the other you know prevailing thought, which would be very fascinating, was that if, um, if Sheriff somehow was not available or Scott McLuhan seriously considered Todd Gurley at number five last year, which is a fascinating what if. Ooh, oh, God. Yeah, that that, that is a fascinating what if. Yeah, yeah, because he's not disgustingly awesome. No, no, he's not. Probably the most talented or one of the three most talented running. Backs I mean, he's just a little life. bit better than Matt Jones. Just a little bit. They both have dreadlocks, so we can take solace in that. Um, there we go. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm putting you on the spot here. I kind of did an initial projection of what I think the win loss would be. I don't know if you've done any type of permutation have, of such i have my thoughts yeah but if you had to just say right off the bat what you think this team is going to finish at where do you have them i have them at eight and eight that's right about where i have them as well i actually if i'm not mistaken i think i have them yeah. at seven and nine and we touched on this a little bit yesterday in the defensive podcast it's not because i'm bearish on anything else it's because of the schedule schedule's ridiculously tough now do i i'm hopeful that they perform better than that yeah. and that they win the division again but i i can totally see another team you know taking the division not the eagles but you know either the giants or if tony romo somehow stays upright the entire season the cowboys probably winning the division just because the redskins are just gonna there's so many roadblocks along the way there's 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 no cream puffs for him. There's no there. So the 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 cream puffs probably are Cleveland in week three, and they'll still find a way to lose one game to Philadelphia. I think Philadelphia, as I mentioned yesterday, yeah. is going to be bad. I think they'll still find a way to lose one of them because that's what happens in the divisional game. The last nine games, and I wrote about this, the last nine games of the season, starting with Cincinnati and London. First of all, I don't want to play Cincinnati. Cincinnati is not a bad football team. I definitely don't want to play it in London because those are the types of games that the Redskins continually shit the bed in. So yeah, I, Anything that's primetime or you know nationally televised, poo. Yeah, we do crap. Um, Minnesota at home, I th- I'm, I, I'm a little... I feel a little better that it's at home, but not that much better. Minnesota is a very, very good football team. They have an amazing defense and a competent offense. Yes. Um, and so. they still have Adrian Peterson, who is still a genetic freak. Right. You get Green Bay at home. Right. And that provides me no solace. I mean, nope. I mean, it's better that it's not at Lambeau, because then I would predict the Packers to win by 20 just because it's at Lambeau. But if we saw the Packers came. A depleted Packers team came and beat us at FedEx in the playoffs. Um, at Dallas, at Arizona, Lord Almighty. But is that at Dallas on Thanksgiving? On Thanksgiving Day. Yeah, I never liked it. Like, I know 2012 Thanksgiving and Dallas was the most beautiful amazing. Thing, yeah. But that was an anomaly, and most of the time, a Thanksgiving in, in Dallas Ends is just, badly. just miserable. Yep. Miserable. Ends badly. Then at Arizona, at Philadelphia, whatever, they play Carolina on a Monday night. That's going to go over real well because the Redskins play so well on Monday night. Yeah. And then Chicago at Chicago on a Saturday, Christmas Eve national televised game. And Chicago's another one of my teams. Watch out. They're not nearly as bad as people are making them out to be. I think they could be a, like a long shot playoff contender. I think they're an 8-8 eight and eight football team at worst. Um, they're really They're good. at least an average team. 
they're at least an average team. They're built really well. I think their GM, Ryan Pace, has done a hell of a job restocking that team so far. They're a few pieces away, but um, they're not going to be a cupcake by any stretch. I think the only real like pushovers on the schedule are, as I mentioned, Cleveland and maybe maybe Detroit, and I go back and forth because I could see Detroit sneakily being kind of good. I could see them also being completely awful because I think Jim Caldwell is a terrible coach. But He's I go, a terrible coach and they, they lack talent. But I could somehow sneaky see them being like one of those dink and dunk offensive teams that kind of harasses everyone and just spreads everything out and like, you know, six yards you all the up and down the field and their defense has a couple of pieces. A couple. Man, we should probably top. No, more than a couple. There's there's Ziggy Ansa, there's um, DeAndre Levy, there's Darius Slay, who just got paid. And then that's really about it. But they're not a bad unit. They've got a good defensive coordinator. So I don't put, put them necessarily in the cream puff category. But, yeah, I mean, just as a, as a whole, this is not an easy schedule. Like, they were awarded with having the toughest schedule in the NFC East for winning the division. So congratulations. Congratulations. You can get your ass beat. Right. Yeah, so that's why I'm I'm sticking with my eight and eight, and if they do better, I'll be extremely happy. And if they fall a little bit short, it's not the end of the world because uh, this roster is not complete. And much to my chagrin, the Giants are going to be better. I think the Giants are going to suffer a little bit of the Jets syndrome that they're going to be good for one year, and then they're going to have to pay the piper for all those insane contracts they handed out. They were just handing out money this this uh, past winter. Yeah, Vernon, Snacks, Harrison, Janoris Jenkins. I'm still missing someone that I can't think of off the top of my head right now. Um, they they were they were handing out money like it was going out of style. They're going to have to pay the piper, and the Jets did that last year with uh, with Revis and Cromartie and a bunch of the other guys and Gilchrist and a, and a few other players here and there. I think Brandon Marshall. Um, I it's going to come Brian Fitzpatrick. It's going to come back to bite them already in one year, and I think it's going to same thing's going to happen to the Giants. Jerry Reese blew his load this year because he had to keep his job and he wanted to do whatever he could. But um, yeah, that's always a, what you want when you're. A, a, an owner of a team is a GM just, you know, making short-sighted decisions. Yeah, that, that's uh, nothing else screams long-term security than making short-sighted decisions and then having to pay the piper. I really hope they have to. And they still have to worry about Odell Beckham's contract in the next couple of years, too. So they'll have some shit coming off the books. But, oh, J- Jason Pierre-Paul, they handed $12 million to as well. So With one hand. With one hand. Well, he's got one hand and then... Things forty percent of another one. So, all right, I think that'll wrap up our Redskins preview podcast, part two of the offense. Thank you very much for everyone who's listening, uh, especially if you listen to part one. And as I mentioned, if you haven't gotten a chance to, make sure you go ahead and do so. And again, please go ahead and subscribe to us on iTunes, on SoundCloud. You can follow us there. Leave us some feedback. We want to get some feedback on whether or not you like the podcast, whether or not you hate the podcast, whether there's something you should talk about in the podcast that we haven't gotten to so far. Um, Keep an eye on us. We'll have a lot of great stuff in the month of August for the NFL. I'm going to plan to write a whole bunch of crap for the NFL preview or as an NFL preview for this upcoming season, including a lot more predictions. So until next time, thank you very much for listening, and we will talk to you later. Thank you for listening to the Hail to the District podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts.